0: For more information, visit ministry127.com and subscribe to the ministry127 podcast for more practical lessons for today's Christian worker. This lesson is entitled Keeping a Servant's Heart Toward Your Husband's Call with Mrs. Jenny Navarrete. Mrs. Navarrete serves alongside her husband Carlos, who oversees the Spanish ministry at Lancaster Baptist Church. Mrs. Navarrete helps to organize ministry events and serves in the music ministry.
1: Well, my goal for us today is that we would just take a step back that we would be able to disconnect for a few moments from the busyness and the details of ministry, and instead we would focus and work a little bit on the inside, on our hearts. If our attitude needs a little adjustment, I pray that it would get it. Um, If our mind needs to change, I pray that it would too. If our spirit's a little sour, I pray that it would be sweetened. And if we just need encouraging, I hope you get a little bit of encouragement today. This isn't a 10 ways to be a servant kind of a lesson. Because what we're talking about today is not um, really anything that we specifically do. It's really about an attitude that we choose and that I choose um, every single day. I want to start off, just for curiosity's sake, by asking you each a question. How many of you in here are spending your life doing exactly what you always thought you'd be doing? You just knew you'd be a pastor's wife someday. Not one person? Oh, a couple people. My daughter's really planning on spending her life as, well, as a pastor's wife and as an astronaut. She asked me if she can do both of those. I said, I don't know. You'll figure that out later. <laughs> um, how many of you in here never in a billion years thought you'd be spending your life doing what you're doing right now? Yeah, I think that's probably most of us. I'm somewhere in the middle on that one. Um, maybe you're a little bit of both, too. I grew up in a pastor's home in Illinois, and so it crossed my mind that I might serve in the ministry when I grew up. But I never once thought I'd be in a Spanish ministry, and I sure never thought I'd be in California. So no matter what end of the spectrum we're on, how many of you would say God has surprised me with the details in my life? I think for sure. Um, Aren't you glad that God doesn't show us what's coming? (laughs) My kids wish they could see their whole life in a book, and I am really glad that we can't. Um, I would spend all of this year worrying about what's coming next year. I'm glad he just gives us one day at a time. But I know I've been learning this, that when my relationship is right with the Lord, and I'm in a good understanding of who I really am, which is nothing, just a little sinner saved by grace, and I remember who he is, the King of Kings who came here for me, then it really doesn't matter at all what God asks for me or he gives me to do. It is my privilege to serve him in any area. Um, A couple weeks ago, I ordered something on the phone from a company down in Georgia. And every single person I talked to um, in that company was so sweet. And so as I was ready to hang up, I told the lady, thank you for being so kind and and easy to work with. And she said, oh, you're welcome. We're so happy to serve. And I don't know about you, but... um, or the part of the world that you live in, but that is not a comment that I hear every day anymore. We're so happy to serve. Um, Usually, I end up feeling like I really inconvenienced somebody by wanting to pay for something or ask a question. In this day and age, at least in this country, um, the idea of being a servant has become a little foreign to us. We're not too familiar with that servant and master type of relationship anymore. And, And as Christians, and here today just as Christian women, I think it's good that we stop for a moment and remember what it means to really serve. Um, Sometimes I think we've learned to sign up and we've learned to commit, but have we really learned to serve? But it's exactly what Jesus did. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus came to earth with a servant's heart, and then he kept his servant's heart all the way to the cross. Even when he was being mocked, when he was misunderstood, when he was shunned, when his burden was very great, when he was tortured and killed, he kept a servant's heart. He's a perfect example for us, a servant's heart no matter what, all the way to the end. So today we're here to focus on keeping a servant's heart toward our husband's call. And our husband's call is made up of three different parts. Number one, the caller, that's God. Number two, the called, and that's actually our husband. And number three, the calling, and that's our church. So for the next few minutes, we're going to examine our heart's attitude towards each each one of those different parts of our husband's call. Number one is a servant's heart towards the caller. That's my God. How do I keep a servant's heart towards the one who placed me in this life? Number one, with a heart of submission. Psalm 23 verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That verse is one of my top five favorite verses in the whole Bible. Those nine little words are full of a lot of treasure. Um, Notice how he didn't say, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't want. I wish that was true. I wish that after we were saved and following the Lord, our hearts never strayed towards anything else. But it's not true. And the idea of the verse is is more of a continual surrender to the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm following him. I shall not want. I've learned that he's enough. Mark 14, 36, Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Jesus had a submissive heart. I think the most important thing we'll ever do as a pastor's wife is just to stay surrendered to the Lord, to continually let God have the reins in our life and follow him alone each and every day. I'm always amazed at how quickly we trust God for our eternal destination, for the biggest decision we'll ever make. And yet we struggle to trust Him day by day for all the little things here on earth. This life is nothing more than our opportunity to prepare to meet God. The Bible says it's like a vapor. It vanishes quickly. If I can trust Him to take me to heaven, surely I can trust Him to lead me through this world. Here's some basic truths to surrender. God created me, God created me for a purpose, God knows better than I, God sees more than I, God created my husband, God created my husband for a purpose, God knows more about my husband than I do. Those are some basic simple truths, but many times my emotions want to cover a lot of that up. But those truths don't change. And it really doesn't matter if if you are right now where you're going to be for 25 more years, if you are brand new to town and nobody knows you or supports you yet, or even if you're just passing through on your way to something else. Recognize God's leading and surrender to him. Don't surrender to a plan or to a church or to a title. God doesn't fill out a contract and ask us to sign it. Our life is not an agreement with God. It's a surrender to God. And surrender is not even a pastor's wife issue. You don't have to surrender because you're the pastor's wife. We need to surrender because we were bought with a very high price, and our life is not our own. So a servant's heart is a submissive heart. We can also keep a servant's heart towards God by number two, a heart of obedience. We've already read Philippians 2, 5 through 8, but I want you to notice something quickly. Um, The last half of that verse says, Jesus took upon him the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus surrendered himself to become a servant, and his surrender led him to his obedience. I absolutely love being a part of the Spanish ministry of this church. I mean that. I love the people. I love the services. I love the pastor. I just love that ministry. But I'll be honest with you, I didn't start serving there because I just loved it so much. The Spanish department's in my heart because that's where I serve God. Sometimes it's not until after we surrender and obey that our hearts get involved. And that's okay. You don't have to feel something in order to do it. Not everything you feel is truth. I don't usually feel like getting up when my alarm goes off. But that doesn't mean I should lay there in bed so I'm not hypocritical and just stay there and do what I feel. No, I get up because it's right. Don't wait for a feeling. Just obey God. The Bible says that our hearts are desperately wicked. We can't trust them. But the Bible also says in Proverbs 16, verse 3, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Many times the feeling comes after we obey. Serving is always anti-flesh. Who really does ever feel like serving? It's always a result of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God fills us after we surrender to him. So first we need to keep a servant's heart towards the caller, that's God. And then, number two, we need to keep a servant's heart toward the called, and that's my husband. Letter A is understand my number one calling, and that's a helpmeet. I read a little story of the man who found the recipe for rabbit stew, and he began to read the directions, and the first instruction said, first you must catch the rabbit. And that's pretty basic. But I think that that thought kind of applies to us today as well. In being the pastor's wife, remember that you're first the wife of the pastor. And he is your number one pastor's wife responsibility. You're to serve him first. I have the wonderful privilege of watching this example um, of a relationship carried out right here at Lancaster Baptist. There's no doubt in anyone's mind here who's the leader around here. That's pastor. Um, but Mrs. Chapel has dedicated her whole life to helping pastor fulfill God's plan for his life. And in doing that, she's fulfilling God's plan for her own. There's no other way to describe it except that it just honors God. It's a beautiful picture of a pastor's marriage. Genesis 2.18 said, and the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. And there we have it as Christian wives, that's our primary responsibility. Whether you're married to a doctor, roofer, policeman, Or in here, we're married to the pastor. We are our husband's helpmeet. God didn't make the woman and name her the planner or the director or the Holy Spirit Part 2. No, we were called the helper. Remember this, that it's your husband's job to do God's will, not your will. I think that was a real good day for my husband when I finally realized that. And I actually have to remind myself of that quite often. Because, you know, how many times... Could the pastor really help make the pastor's wife a whole lot easier? But the truth is that he wasn't made for me. I was made for him. And it's my responsibility to serve him. In your notes, I think you have five blanks there, are five ways that we can serve our husband, the pastor. Number one, pray for him. I don't have a whole lot to say here except go buy Mrs. Chappell's book, It's a Wonderful Life. Have you all read that book? Many of you probably, probably the most convicting part of that book to me is her prayer list for her husband. Would you agree? I think she has thought of everything. It'd be worth it to buy it for that prayer list alone. It's a great guide for making our own prayer list. I think my husband asks me five times a day to pray for him. Will you pray for me? Are you going to pray for me? Um, And probably 10 times a day on Sundays. Please pray. Our husbands are fighting spiritual warfare every single day. I know we all are. But they are frontline soldiers um, and they need God's power. Be your husband's prayer warrior. It will help you to keep a servant's heart towards him. Number two, encourage him. Thank him for his message on Sunday. Well, first of all, listen to his message on Sunday. Um, I think it's a tremendous encouragement to the pastor when the pastor's wife's seat is always occupied and she is engaged in his message. My husband, there's one seat that I sit in, and that is my seat every Sunday, and he likes to see it filled every single Sunday. It's just a little way to encourage him. Um, He doesn't have to look for you. He knows where you are. Don't let him hear 15 thank yous for the message and not hear one from you. Encourage him by doing what you can do practically to help him do God's will. Make his mornings easy. Send him out the door knowing he's appreciated. It amazes me that the power that my words have over my husband, we can encourage or discourage very, very quickly. Um, And we can either use that to our own advantage to help us get our own will done, or we can ask the Lord to help us to use our words to encourage him to get God's will done. My family lives in Illinois, a few thousand miles away, and in a very perfect world, we would be able to serve the Lord at Lancaster Baptist Church and still live right next door to my parents. I would love that. Um, But apparently that's not God's plan for me because that has not yet happened. And I remember right after my first baby was born, I began to get homesick. I just wanted my family to be able to watch this little girl grow up. And I struggled in my heart for a few weeks. And I didn't really say anything to my husband, but I said an awful lot to the Lord about it. And I remember the Lord gently showing me that my marriage and my family would actually all be better off if my husband was doing God's will. And if I tried to talk my husband into moving back home, and I don't know if I could have worn him down or not, but I know that I might have gotten my family closer, but I don't want to be married to a man that's miserable because he's outside of God's will. And I really didn't want that for my daughter either. We really have to think about what we say. Um, I'll never forget a few years ago during our missions conference here at church, the missionary wives were giving testimony, um, giving testimonies for our ladies' Bible study. And one wife stood up, and she asked that we all just keep the missionaries' wives in prayer, that they would be an encouragement and not a discouragement to their husbands. She said that over and over, she'd been on the field for over 20 years. She said over and over, again, how missionaries leave the field because the wife gets discouraged or the husband gets discouraged, and she goes along with it. And she said, pray that we would be a reason for him to stay, not a reason for him to leave. And I thought that was a great spirit. That was a servant's heart. Don't be a reason for your husband to quit. Be an encourager. Help him to finish God's will for his life. Number three, appreciate his intentions, not just his accomplishments. Appreciate his intentions, not just his accomplishments. Accomplishments. This is something that the Lord has helped me to see recently. How many of you, um, like me, just happen to be gifted at hearing every little mistake your husband makes from the pulpit? He announces the wrong room for the meeting or pronounces somebody's name wrong, um, says the wrong date for the wedding. I don't know. It's just a gift how we know that was wrong, what he just said that was wrong. And I was thinking about this one day. And isn't it true that the more a person talks, the greater the chance that he might say a wrong word, right? The more we talk, the more something wrong might come out. The more we put into our brain, the more likely we are to forget something. If I forget one out of 10 things I hear, then that means if I hear 100 things, I'll forget 10 of them. That's just math. I can't imagine the information that my husband takes in on a daily basis. The phone calls, the emails, the letters, counseling, the conversations, all of it, the meetings, And so I really ask the Lord to help me check my mouth in this area. I don't know why sometimes I'm more worried about the person that got his name pronounced wrong than I am about my own husband's spirit. And he's not always going to get up and give that announcement correctly. And he may mispronounce somebody's name, but that's not his intent. And if he said one thing wrong, I know he said 99 other things that were right. So don't always praise him just for his accomplishments. Learn to praise and thank God for his um, pure intentions. A little more spiritually speaking, does somebody get saved every time he goes soul winning? Maybe not. But did he go? Um, Then he's done really everything that God's asked. And praise the Lord for a husband that goes. Do people flock down the aisle during every single invitation? Maybe not. But when your husband gets up there and preaches God's word, he's doing exactly what he's been called to do. And that should be enough for you. Thank the Lord for a husband who follows God. Appreciate that heart in him. Don't set a standard of results for him. Remember, it's our job to serve, not lead. Serve him by appreciating his intentions and not st- setting a standard for him. Number four, allow him freedom in your schedule. Allow him freedom in your schedule. Now, this is something that I, oh, I can only do when I'm filled with the Spirit. It is not easy for me to have my schedule up in the air. But we are in the people business, right? Right? And people are just not predictable all the time. And I truly believe it's an act of service to our husbands when we allow him freedom in our day. If I'm talking to somebody and he calls, I answer his call. If I'm talking to him and somebody else calls, I don't answer that call. When he's home, he gets my attention. If he needs me when I already have something planned, then really it's nothing more than a decision of who I'm going to serve. And really it should be our husband. Allow him that freedom in your day and in your week. How many of you have husbands that come home for lunch? A lot, yeah. (laughs) My husband comes home, I would say, several days a week for lunch. Now, the truth is that that's really a blessing, right? To be able to see him and talk to him for a minute. But sometimes it feels like a plain old interruption. Would you agree when you got your day going? Um, And this is probably true of all men. Most men probably prefer hot food. But I know this, my husband is not a sandwich kind of a guy. He was born and raised in El Salvador. And they don't make sandwiches in El Salvador. They do not eat cereal in El Salvador. They do not warm up pizzas in El Salvador. They cook hot food, three meals a day. Um, and my husband's not demanding at all. He's not like that. But, um, but you know what? It, it was a decision I had to make. Lunchtime is either going to bug me for the rest of my life, or it's going to be a little time of the day when I can serve him for the rest of my life. And it's my decision. It's an act of service when you allow your husband freedom in your personal schedule. Number five, do good to him. Mrs. Houck was speaking at a bridal shower here many years ago, and I remember her using this verse, Proverbs 31, 12. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Um, I know I'd read that verse before, but... Something about that night, it stuck with me. After her devotion, I went home and wrote that verse down on a three by five card, and I kept that on my nightstand for years. I needed that reminder. We listened to a lot of Patch the Pirate in our home. How many else? How many other people? Hours and hours and hours of Patch the Pirate. Um, my favorite song right now that we are listening to is Be a Blessing and Not a Pest. Does everybody know that song? Um, it, it is a great song. It's written to children, of course. And I don't like to call my kids pests, but I don't have to. We've listened to it so much that all I have to say is, be a blessing. And they know the rest of the song. They know what not to be. Um, And the other day when I was listening to it, I thought, you know, that's really a good song for a wife too. (laughs) Be a blessing and not a pest. I have found in my own life that when I try to be a blessing to my husband, my heart is usually softened towards him. So there's five ways that we can serve our husbands. Number two, though, in keeping a servant's heart towards your husband is to, let her be understand my number one enemy. That is Satan. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober and be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Don't you think that a lot of Christians waste a lot of time fighting the wrong things? Um, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And this is, not true in every, this is true in every Christian home, but no doubt in a pastor's home, Satan is working double time. And some of his best tactics are just to divide a pastor and his wife. Nothing's more dangerous to Satan than a man of God leading a church of God that is making a difference for God. And what is one good way that Satan could ruin that? By getting you, the pastor's wife, convinced that the ministry is going to ruin your marriage. And I know this about the devil for years and years now. He's been tempting and tripping up Christians way more spiritual than me. And this is certainly not a new trick of his. And as women, I think we have to be especially careful. What is Satan's oldest trick? Back in the Garden of Eden, he went right to the woman. And he began to simply question God's perfect plan. And she was so susceptible to it. His words tugged at her heart. And he convinced her that there was a better way than God's way. And then look at the consequences. In my flesh, I know I'm no match for Satan. But with the Lord, 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. No matter what Satan tries to tell you, your husband is not your enemy. Your husband is not against you. Satan is, and he will do his very best to divide your family. Don't get mad and frustrated and fight with your husband. Get mad at the devil and fight him. Here's five ways to fight off the enemy. And we're going to go straight to the Bible for all of this. Number one, submit yourselves to God. James 4.7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We already talked about surrendering to God, but there's no way to talk about fighting off our real enemy without mentioning again that it will only happen as we submit ourselves to God. According to James 4.7, this is the first step in fighting Satan. Get your life under God's control. One of the biggest blessings of submission is our own protection. Andrew Murray said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life that is wholly yielded to him. Talk about fighting off Satan. With God as the captain's chair in in our heart, the devil knows that he's no match for the Lord. So first of all, submit yourselves to God. And number two, resist the devil. Obviously, there's no way to do this one without first doing number one. On my own, I am no match for Satan. But if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, then the devil can't win. I don't have to listen to his lies and tricks. I don't have to doubt God's perfect plan. I don't have to be discouraged. That's when John 4, 4 becomes real. It doesn't say you, Christian, are greater than the world. It says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So make sure he's in you, and then resisting the devil is just a natural flow of a Holy Spirit-filled life. Number three, rejoice in the Lord. Isn't Satan real good at getting us to focus in on what we don't have? Or maybe what we have but we don't want? Focusing on the negative changes our spirit. It certainly puts a damper on our servant's heart. Our faith is weakened when our eyes are looking around us and they're not looking up at the Lord. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice count your blessings. I love the song, God's Been Good in My Life. You all know that song? They sung it in the choir um, Sunday Sunday night, I think it was. Um, I think my favorite line in the whole song is, I've had more gains than losses. I've known more joy than hurt. I love the way those words put the focus on the good. It doesn't deny that there's been hard times, but the emphasis isn't there. That's how we should live. Rejoice in the Lord. doesn't mean that you never get hurt. doesn't mean you always have to act like you've never been hurt. But don't stay focused in on the negative. Rejoice in the Lord. Satan will not have much opportunity to discourage you if you are purposely rejoicing in the Lord. I read an article by a Christian lady who had gone through um, a very difficult personal loss, and I love what she said about it. She said, Because I know who, I am willfully unconcerned with why. Because I know who, I am willfully unconcerned with why. That is choosing to rejoice. And Satan did not get the victory over her. Number four, the Bible says, Neither give place to the devil. Don't even give the devil an opportunity. Pastor Chapel says one phrase a lot, and I think it goes right along with this verse, Ephesians 4.27. He says, Don't dream outside of God's will. Don't dream outside of God's will for your life. That has helped me. I think that would make a big difference in our lives if we didn't dream about what we might do if we weren't the pastor's family or what life would be like if we lived somewhere else, what it would be like to pastor a different church, what it would be like to be married to another man. We could go on and on, but we shouldn't go there. Don't dream outside of God's will for your life. That's opening up your heart and that's giving the devil a place in your heart to bring in doubt and bitterness. It's a great tactic of Satan's to get us to dream about what might have been, how things could have been different. Don't give him that place. If your husband has followed God's call to be right where he is right now, then that is God's will for you too. And daily doubts and struggles and attitudes might quickly disappear if we just decided to not dream outside of God's will. Dig your feet in and help your husband be whatever it is God wants for him right there in God's will. And number five, lastly, is cultivate contentment. We can fight the devil by cultivating contentment in our hearts. Hebrews 13, 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Philippians 4, 11 says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Satan is a lot of things, and something he's real good at is distracting us good at getting us to look around instead of keeping our eyes fixed on the Lord. He'd like for you to get distracted from God's very best by tempting you with discontentment. He'd like you to compare your house with the other lady's house in the church or with the other pastor's wife's house. He'd like you to wish for something different. He'd like you to not be satisfied with what's in our closets. He'd like us to be discontent with the family that God's given us. I think my favorite quote on contentment is this, Think how happy you'd be if you lost everything you have right now and then you got it all back again. We really don't need much more than what we've got right now. So how are we doing on our contentment? Are you content in whatever state you're in? That's a tough one some days. Um, are you content with where, exactly where God has you right now? Are you content with who God has added to your church, with exactly where you live, What if you're not able to paint that hideous blue room in your house for another five years? Is that going to be okay? Um, Whatever it is, I'm not saying that any of those things are bad, but I know that being discontent for me is one of the biggest distractions that I have for just serving the Lord um, and doing the best things. I have learned that contentment is a decision. It's not a state we reach. Psalm 23.1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's amazing to me that some of the most contented people I know really have the least. Contentment doesn't have anything to do with our circumstances. It's an attitude. Learn to cultivate contentment and don't let the devil distract you. Lastly in your notes, number three, we need to have a servant's heart toward the calling. And that obviously is our church, my church. How do we do that? Letter A, with a pure heart. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. James 4, 8 says, Purify your hearts. James one twenty seven says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Why are you serving the Lord? What are your motives in the ministry? Is it about God or is it about you? There are times when the pastor's wife receives undeserved criticism. We know that. But there's also times when we receive undeserved praise. And we shouldn't get used to that. Let's not start living for that. We need to keep our hearts pure. The people in your church, and especially the ladies in your church, are looking at you. And I know all of that that's been written and said about the unrealistic high expectations that people have of the pastor's wife and their children, and, and you know, and unfortunately, sometimes that is true. But I also know this, that there's a lot of first-generation Christians in our church, and they need somebody to live right in front of them. They're not gonna learn about a Christian home and service to the Lord from their mom, or their sisters, or their aunts. They just need an example of pure religion, and they should be able to find one in their pastor's wife. Do we serve those that can't do much for us, like the fatherless and the widows? Are we keeping ourselves unspotted from the world? That is pure religion. Number one under that, I put, we need to serve in pureness. Ephesians 6, 6 through 7 says, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not unto men. And there's that word again, servants. We're serving the Lord and not men. My husband always says we should wake up, read our Bible, and pray, and then report for duty. Lord, this is Jenny Navarrete here. I'm reporting for duty today. What is it that you'd have for me to do? It's really that simple. People are fickle. Um, we all are. The same person who praises you today may not like you tomorrow. And that's a discouraging, it's a discouraging trap to serve for the praise of man. Oswald Chambers said, Our Lord's first obedience was to the will of his Father, not to the needs of men. His obedience brought the outcome of the saving of men. If I am devoted to the cause of humanity only, I will soon be exhausted and come to the place where my love will falter. But if I love Jesus Christ personally and passionately, I can serve humanity, though men treat me as a doormat. That's serving in pureness. Number two is live in pureness. The Bible says that when Jesus Christ became a servant, he made himself of no reputation. Let's not demand our rights, how we think we should be able to live. Um, Instead, let's live like Christ did and be willing to live in such a way that would not bring us a certain reputation, but would bring glory to the Lord. I've heard my husband say a hundred times that you can't be a leader until you're a good follower. A dad can't lead his family until he's following God. A mom can't expect um, respect and obedience from her children until she's respecting and obeying dad. Um, The pastor is only as an effective leader as he is a follower of God, and the same goes for the pastor's wife. I read a very convicting quote a few years ago that I wrote down in my Bible. It says, if you don't like the crop that you are reaping, then check the seed that you are sowing. Um, May we never complain about a worldly youth group or a carnal spirit in somebody else and yet not be willing to live in personal holiness. God didn't beat around the bush when he said, Be ye holy, as I am holy. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Though whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit and with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel.
0: Our lifestyle
1: should be right in line with our Bibles, whether someone's watching or whether they are absent. If we truly want to serve our church, then we should be willing to follow whatever it is that the Bible says in every single area, giving, church attendance, personal holiness, the list goes on and on. A servant's heart says, oh, that's what the Bible says? Okay, no problem. I'm happy to serve. A lady once asked John Wesley if he knew that he would die at midnight the next day. How would he spend the time remaining? And he replied, Why, madam, just as I intend to spend it now. I would preach this evening and again at 5 tomorrow morning. After that, I'd ride to Tewkisbury, preach in the afternoon, and meet the societies in the evening. I would then go to Martin's house, talk and pray with the family as usual, retire myself to my room at 10 o'clock, commend myself to my Heavenly Father, lie down to rest, and wake up in glory. I love that answer. I think he was living purely. He didn't have anything he had to change if he knew he only had 24 hours left. A servant serves and lives in pureness. Letter B, first we need a pure heart. Letter B, we need a purposed heart. Daniel 1.8 says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. Colossians 3.22 says, Servants, obey in all things your masters, in singleness of heart, fearing God. Is there a purpose to your life? Is there a purpose to your ministry? Are you purposed to fulfill that purpose? God has a purpose for your life. He's placed you in the ministry, and he wants you to serve his church. He hasn't asked you to wow his church or or be just as talented as everybody says the last pastor's wife was. No, he just wants you to serve. It's an easy thing to get psyched out by that title, pastor's wife. There's a lot of opinions on those two little words. Who should we listen to? But I I believe if we focus on following God, purpose to just follow him, he'll take care of the ministry part. There's a lot of things I wish I could do. I wish I was 100% fluent in Spanish. I'm going to keep working on that one. Um, I wish I could sing a beautiful solo. I wish I always knew the right thing to say to somebody. I wish I could always discern a situation the way God does. I could go on and on. And even sometimes in a conference like this, we can get a little maybe intimidated by each other. That other pastor's wife over there looks like she's got it all together. But God does not ask from me, from me, anything that I'm not. He's asked me to give him what I am. Pastor has said before that those that do the most for God are often not the most talented, but they're always the most surrendered. There's a lot of things I may not be able to do, but I can obey. I have the responsibility as a Christian, as a servant of God, to obey every word in this book, in the, in the Bible, and it doesn't take any talent at all to be obedient. Do what you can. God knows your abilities. Um, a servant's heart is a purposed heart. Have you purposed in your heart to serve the people that God's given you? Are you willing to simply obey, to not worry about what you don't have, but just give him all that you do. Never will God require something of us that he'll not enable us to do. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ. Philippians 4.19 says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now this is kind of a silly illustration but how many of you in here have worked really hard um, and pushed and pushed and pushed to get that hair on the top of your head to grow into what it is today? That's silly. Nobody in here's done that, and it wouldn't make a difference if we did. If we just eat and sleep and take care of ourselves decently, what's the natural result? Our hair grows, our nails grow. We don't have to spend a lot of time thinking about that kind of stuff. and it's it's the same way with this lesson today. Um, we can work for a long time, on point number two and point number three, um, with no results at all. If number one isn't happening, if we're not following the Lord and submitting to Him, if we're truly surrendering and obeying God, then we don't have to work real hard on serving our husbands and serving our church families. That naturally will flow. A servant's heart towards others is a natural result of a servant's heart towards God. I'm no expert in anything. Um, I still consider myself in the beginning stages of marriage and being a mom and ministry. I don't have the answers for every need, but I've often told ladies that are struggling in their relationship with their husband that I know my marriage has a lot more to do with my relationship with God than it does with my relationship with my husband. And it's not the most romantic thing to say all the time, but it is true. I'm no good as a wife if I'm not surrendered to the Lord. And I think it's the same thing for us in ministry. Truly being a pastor's wife has a lot more to do with our relationship with the Lord than it does with our ability in the ministry. Um, Here's an excellent poem that shows the difference between a servant's heart and a selfish heart. And I'll end with this. Once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, now it is his word. Once his gifts I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing... Now himself alone. Once twas painful trying, now 'tis perfect trust. Once a half salvation, now the uttermost. once twas ceaseless holding, now he holds me fast. Once twas constant drifting, now my anchors cast. Once twas busy planning, now 'tis trustful prayer. Once twas anxious caring, now he has the care. Once 'twas t'was what I wanted, now what Jesus says. Once t'was constant asking, now to ceaseless praise. Once it was my working, his it hence shall be. Once I tried to use him, now he uses me. Once the power I wanted, now the mighty one. Once for self I labored, now for him alone.
0: Thank you for listening to the Ministry 127 podcast. Today's lesson was on keeping a servant's heart toward your husband's call with Mrs. Jenny Navarretto. This podcast was designed to equip spiritual leaders to grow in the Word and develop a biblical philosophy of ministry for today's local church. Be sure to let a friend know about ministry127.com. Also, for Christ-honoring publications, please visit strivingtogether.com for resources that encourage spiritual growth and the local church ministry. Thank you for listening to this ministry127 podcast.